Well, it's always good after you teach Sunday school to come back for the morning service, and there's actually more people, not less people. So I'm grateful for that. Thank you for those of you who are, are back for more, and thank you for, for the, to you who have chosen to uh, join us for the service this morning. It is a blessing. As Pastor said, I, I am back, and uh, I mentioned in Sunday school that I really do enjoy that. But last time, it, it was a little bit of a whirlwind, frankly, and didn't get really any time at all with your pastor, and so it was nice to get in in a little bit quieter situation yesterday and uh, have some time to spend together. And uh, and we ate barbecue, so I mean, how bad could it be, right? You know, so it was a it was a good time. I appreciate the hospitality of this church taking care of me while I'm here, but also the fellowship. I've already enjoyed getting to meet a number of folks. Some of you who are serving, some who have served probably some who haven't served, and uh, so I thank you for helping me to, to feel, feel welcome. Um, I, I am honored to stand before you on, on behalf of so many who still wear the uniform, but those who have, especially on such a solemn holiday as this one. You know that you know, there's kind of three major military holidays in the course of the year, Armed Forces Day, which was just this past Saturday, which you don't hear a lot about, but which started out because each of the services was kind of doing their own thing. And when we created the Department of Defense, somebody said, you know what, we ought to just have one day and we'll call it Armed Forces Day. And so we honor folks that, that are serving. And, uh, and so I'm certainly grateful that people still serve today. Amen. Grateful that some of you are doing that. I'm grateful that some of you family members are standing beside them and along with them as they, as they continue to do that. Then, of course, Veterans Day, when we recognize folks who have served um, over the years, so many folks, although still a, really a very small percentage of our country, right? Less than a couple of percent. Um, and then um, this weekend, this Monday, when we remember Memorial Day, um, when we recognize those who, who paid the ultimate price um, on behalf of our country. Um, you know, it's interesting that a survey was done a few years ago, and 80% of the folks in America did not know why we had Memorial Day, what it was even about. Um, except that it was, as Pastor said, it's a, it's a day off for work for some, it's a federal holiday, and so you get to crank up the grill and, and enjoy some time, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it started all the way back after the Civil War, you may know, up in Waterloo, New York. A businessman there and a retired major general from serving in the Civil War wanted to honor those who had died during the Civil War and that were buried there in the Waterloo Cemetery. And so they had a, a, a solemn kind of a, a celebration, if you, want to use, if you want to use that term, if I could, and so people came and they recited some poetry. Um, they came and they decorated some of the graves. And it became known as Decoration Day. And it continued to be called Decoration Day for some time until 1882 it was changed to Memorial Day. And then it wasn't really until 1971 when President Nixon made it a federal holiday. And... Uh, of course, it's been watered down since then. So what, if you get the day off, I'm glad for you. Enjoy it. I hope it's a special day for you. But I hope, like me, you're grateful that some were, ent- were willing to enter into harm's way 
with the full realization that they may not come back out again. And, and for some of you, this may be a personal holiday. You may have a family member. You may... I, don't, I know we play taps with the very best of purpose sometimes in ceremonies like this. But my mind goes different places when I hear taps played. I see people. I think of circumstances. And uh, some of you, it's the same way. Um, and so for those of you that carry that with you, um, I just ask the Lord would comfort you and uh, encourage your heart that, uh, that he cared, even though things ended perhaps differently than you do. And I appreciate that your church is, is giving some consideration to that. And, uh, and I appreciate the opportunity to be here on such a, a solemn kind of an occasion. It's interesting, I was, I was looking over a, a speech that was given all the way back in 1997 in Germany um, by a public affairs officer of all people. And I'll just read you part of the excerpt because I think it, it characterizes a mindset that is foreign to most of our country. Um, and yet it is representative of a number of you um, now or in the past it has been. And this is what she had to say. She said, could anything be more contradictory than the lives of our soldiers? They love America, so they spend long years on foreign lands far from her shores. They revere freedom, so they sacrifice their own that we may be free. They defend our right to live as individuals, yet they yield their individuality in that cause. Perhaps most paradoxically of all, they value life and so bravely they ready themselves to die in service of our country. It's an amazing, amazing thing to me that, that still today, young men and women will raise their right hand and they'll agree to enter into service that can be so costly because it is very real for some. Well, today as we look at God's Word together, I want to look at it kind of from a lens a little bit of, a, I guess, a military perspective, if I might, maybe even a little bit more personal than I might in some cases. Turn, if you would, to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want to look at an account, some verses in Scripture here, um, and characterize what it has to say in a message that I have entitled, A Soldier's Life. And I'll try to draw some parallels between what Scripture has to say and what life is like for those who are serving, those who have served. I hope you don't wonder what soldiering might have to do with the Christian life, because it has everything to do with the Christian life. You know, we, we, you're here at the pointy end of the spear, Fort Campbell, part of the contingency corps. You know, when the, when the balloon goes up, somebody's leaving from here probably pretty quickly, like they leave from Fort Bragg. And, uh, you know, when a unit is, is getting ready for or they're in the process of deploying, man, it's a laser focus. It's all about getting where you have to get prepared as best you can to accomplish the mission as soon as your boots hit the ground. Do you realize that you and I 
as believers, we're deployed. You've been left here. I've been left here for a purpose. It isn't just some casual kind of thing. I know this sounds kind of serious, but it is very serious. It's very serious that God has work for us to do. And I wonder how often we view our Christian life through the lens that we are deployed, forward deployed, to do the work of the gospel where God has us. So if you're with me in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I'm just going to read two verses. Beginning in verse number 3, we read, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that it may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Would you pray with me as we look at this? Father, we thank you that you chose us. Lord, first you chose us in salvation. But God, you've also chosen us in service. And Father, I thank you that there is no greater calling than that of serving our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Of being your ambassadors, your representatives. Lord, I dare say that truth is probably familiar to many, if not all, here. And yet, Lord, sometimes I wonder how seriously we undertake it if we understand how important our part of this battle is that we're in. Father, would you open our hearts and minds to it this morning? And Lord, I'm also aware that in a group this size, there may be some folks here that have heard about Jesus, that have heard about God, but have never personally considered what Christ did for them on the cross how he suffered for them, how he died for them. Father, would you help their hearts and minds to be open to your truth, the truth of the gospel this morning. We give it all to you, Lord, believing that you can accomplish a great work for your name's sake. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, a soldier, according to Webster, is a loyal follower or a contender in, in some kind of a cause. And so, obviously, here, outside of Fort Campbell, we primarily think of the soldiers that dress a certain way, sport a certain haircut, you know, work on the base when, it doesn't, when, when their responsibilities don't take them someplace else. But, but that's not the only place that we have people who are loyal followers who serve a cause that is greater than they are. And it's why, I believe... The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to use that term here because it exactly describes who Timothy was. It exactly describes what a believer in Jesus Christ is intended to be. Someone who loyally follows. Someone who believes and serves in a call. So as we look at these two verses this morning, I want us to consider them with three aspects of a soldier's life. Beginning with the first one in verse number three, and that I will call a soldier's calling. A soldier's calling. Notice that he says that he is a soldier of who? Of Jesus Christ. You know, I've got some toy soldiers on the display back there. I've heard the term paper soldier used before. They're soldiers of fortune. There's the soldiers that serve on this base and many other places around the world. 
But here he's very specifically saying it's a soldier of Jesus Christ. Now I'm wearing the uniform, an old version of the uniform of a soldier. And I did serve for for quite a long time, but retired 17, almost 18 years ago. But before that, I had experienced a different kind of calling with this issue of soldiering. Thankfully, in my life, and you'll see a little bit of it tonight if you come back and see it, the video that I'll show, somebody cared enough to come tell me about Jesus Christ. They cared enough to explain to me how I needed him, that my, my philosophy wasn't going to get me there. I kind of knew that, but I, it's easy to ignore. And he just wouldn't give up until I acknowledged my own need for Christ and accepted Him as my Savior. Because a soldier's calling is a very, very specific one. It's a definite calling. I entered ROTC when I was in college. I went down and talked to the, the, the recruiter that was down there. He was a, a, an Army Sergeant Major. I'd never met one before in my life. In Maine, there's not any bases in that part of Maine. But that guy, he could sell refrigerators to Eskimos. I mean, he talked me, before I left from there, into taking my free uniforms and entering into my no-obligation opportunity to be a part of ROTC for a while. And it was, there was truth to that. It was a little while before I had to sign a contract. But, you know, I didn't just get to show up one night when they were doing drill. I didn't go down to a local thrift shop and buy a uniform and just say, you know what, I think I'm just going to be a soldier. I'm just going to show up. No, I I had to be invited by this sergeant major, and I had to come on his terms according to their rules in that organization. And if you're in the military, you understand that. I mean, it's not hard to get your arms around the fact that you don't just, just walk in off the street. And yet, some, for some reason, somehow, it seems challenging sometimes when people hear that there's a specific way that they can get to heaven. They are, they're really challenged by the fact that, that they don't get to do it on their terms. And so when they hear John 14, 6, that says, I am Jesus speaking, I am the way, the truth, the life, No man, no man, no one comes unto the Father but by me. That there really is only one way. They're somehow offended by that. Even military folks that I talk to, and I'm thinking, you didn't come on your own terms into the Army or the Air Force or the Navy. Why is it you think you get to make the rules if if you're going to be part of what God is doing? God extends an invitation that sergeant major, man, he, 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 I must have had fresh meat all over my face when he saw me. I don't really know. But, man, he, he was ready. He wasn't going to let loose until he had me convinced. He was ready to invite. Do you realize today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, that he is inviting you? He wants you personally to acknowledge him, to know that he loves you. He died for you, that he cares for you. That's why in Revelation 3.20, he talks about, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Have you ever felt that knock in your heart? I did. 
I did when I was in college. Thankfully, I was willing to respond to that knock. I wonder if, if, if you felt that before. I wonder if you might even feel it today during the time that we're together. Can I tell you that if you are, God just wants you to respond to that invitation that he's offering to you? Because in order to be a follower of Christ, a soldier of Christ, you first have to answer the call that he made to you. And you know, specific action is required. When I, when I joined the military, at one point I had to raise my right hand, like a lot of you folks did, and swear an oath that I'd support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and I went on from there. And then I had to sign some paperwork, because you don't do anything in the military unless you sign some paperwork, right? Do you realize that as a Christian, to become a Christian, that God offers us a specific way as well? There are several verses you could look at, but, but I don't know if you understand that, that God wants you to realize that there's action required on your part. And so when we read in Romans 10, 9, and 10, it, it's helpful for us to understand what God is offering to us and what we need to do. And so it says that if they confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You go, that's it? That's it. But think about what he said. You believe in your heart, which means this is sincere. This is not a, I'll just do it and get it over with so you'll leave me alone and go on to somebody else. I believe that Jesus is who he said he was. I believe that he did come and he did live a perfect life, but that he did have to go to the cross and he did suffer and die and bleed for me because I had done wrong and he was the only acceptable sacrifice in God's sight. And then it goes on to say that I believe that God raised him from the dead. And you say, why is that added separately? Why is it significant? It's significant because if Christ had gone into that tomb and stayed in that tomb, he conquered nothing. But he didn't stay in that tomb. He rose again. He conquered death. And because he conquered death, he can offer to us eternal life. We go from spiritual death to spiritual life. If you've never experienced that, You can experience it today. Today, we can take an open Bible at the end of this service and we can show you what the scriptures say about how you personally can be saved. How you personally can know you're going to go to heaven when you die. It's very definite. It's very definite. That spirit worked in my heart. That spirit worked in the heart of you who are saved. And you realize, I've got to take action And maybe there's somebody here that's being stirred right now. I encourage you to take action. It's also a distinct calling. It's not just definite, it's distinct. You know, soldiers have a role and purpose. We talked about the the oath. Supporting and defending the Constitution of the United States against all enemies. All enemies, foreign and domestic. I think most of us really understood what that meant when we said it the first time. But you come to understand what it means. It's serious, serious. They have a reason. They don't just go do what they want, collect their paycheck at the end of the month. They do what they are supposed to do as soldiers. And do you realize that as Christian soldiers, it's the same way? 
It's a wonderful thing to come to a church like this and be encouraged by it. It's a wonderful thing to enjoy fellowship outside of church here with other believers that you know. It'll be a wonderful thing to maybe get together with a couple families tomorrow and grill some burgers or whatever it is you're going to do. But that's not why we're here. Soldiers have a mission. And wherever that mission takes them, today, this week, next week, next year, whatever part of the world, you just go. Because you've got to do the mission. And if you're familiar with Scripture at all, you know as Jesus was leaving us in Matthew 28, He offered us a great mission. We call it the Great Commission. To go and tell others about Christ. Teaching them. That's why we're here. Are we here to grow closer to God as well? Yes. Are we here to raise a Christian heritage? Yes, we are. Are we here to be light in a dark world? Yes, we are. But our job, our mission, as we get up from day to day, we shouldn't lose sight of, is the fact that somebody, probably in our path today, needs to hear about Christ. Somebody needs to see and feel the love of Christ that comes through your life. If you have missionaries that are out there, they're out there doing the same thing, and you're allowing them to do it because you believe it doesn't just need to happen here in Clarksville. It needs to happen all around the world. It's very, very distinct. And, you know, as, as a distinct calling, we're also set apart. You know, again, military guys, you can usually identify them pretty easily. It's just the way they carry themselves, even if they're not in uniform, the way they look. And listen to them start talking, and you realize, yeah, that's a military guy, just by the things they're talking about lots of times. And yet somehow, as Christian soldiers, sometimes we can get a little offended by the fact that we're supposed to be separate too. We're supposed to be distinct. We're supposed to be different. It's not very popular being different sometimes, is it? I don't know about you, but you know, you've been called out on things. I remember as a young second lieutenant in, in South Korea, um, I, I, I guess it was supposed to be an insult. I don't know. They called me preacher. And... Um, I think my platoon sergeant kind of got it. He was, he was pretty nice. But for some of the younger guys, it was a little weird. I was a, I was a highly wise and experienced second lieutenant. And so I had a lot to offer them, of course. But I think they were trying to insult me. And as a young Christian, I was a relatively young Christian at the time. It was kind of like, this is pretty weird. But it's hard being different. And you know that in your neighborhood. You know it. On the job, you know it on base. You may even know it in your own family. And yet, as soldiers, we have to be willing to be set apart for what God wants us to do. It's a very definite calling. God wants to do something special. It's a very distinct calling. God has given us something to do, and he's told us to be set apart to accomplish that very thing. It's also a devoted calling. You know, 24-7 didn't mean much to me until I came in the military, or 24-7, 365. I didn't really know what that meant, but I sure came to realize it. And it no longer was about Kevin's way of doing things. You know, the oath I swore said I would obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me. I wasn't always really thrilled with that. I'm sure none of you ever had... A senior, an NCO or an officer give you an order that you thought, what planet are you on? And uh, 
What do you want me to do with that? But you sometimes have to give up your desires, your interests, we would say, for the good of the army. Jesus offered us something, a pretty high calling in Luke 9.23, when he said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You ever think about what that is? That could be a message in and of itself. What it means to follow Christ, the way he ministered, the way he lived, the way he represented God. You have to give up your will. You also get to give up your methods. You know, when I came in the military, um, I just really had no idea. And the services are different from each other. I learned that, that the Army loves its field manuals and its regulations. The Navy has them. They ignore them. Um, the Air Force probably made movies out of theirs. I'm not really sure. But, um, but the Army loves all those regulations. And, and, you know, sometimes they roll them up and they stick them in your eye during an IG inspection if they still do those. Um, but you understand that there's the right way, and then there's the, the army way. Yeah, so if we're not careful, sometimes we, we can apply that sarcastic mindset to what God's asking us to do. You know, the psalmist said in Psalm 1, verse number 22, he said, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Is, is your delight in this truth, soldier? Do you love God's word? Do you love what he has here for you, for me, for how it helps us, how it equips us? We should. It's difficult for us to give up our methods and replace them with correct methods if we are not embracing what God has. That's why in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 and 17 it says all scripture is what? It's profitable. It's profitable for a host of things. All of scripture is. God knows we need it because it ends in verse number 17 that the man of God may be perfect or complete, truly furnished for every good work. Imagine that. Everything I need, according to that verse, to allow me to accomplish what I'm supposed to do is right here. Everything. You're raising children? Look here. You're dealing with finances? Look here. You're dealing with strained relationships? Look here. Trying to figure out what the future holds? Start looking here. God has it for us. Are we willing to give up our method and embrace his? You know, soldiers are supposed to know their regulations in and out. There's an expectation, especially the longer you serve it. You shouldn't have to be questioning whether or not you do something the way you do it. Now, i got to tell you that I had to kind of brush up a a copy of AR670-1. You military guys will know because the uniform regulation left my mind a long time ago. And so I had to figure out where to put stuff back on there. But when I was in, that and so many others were very much in my brain like they are in yours. And I think that sentiment is best represented for you and me as Christian soldiers in in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 15, where we read, Study to show thyself approved unto who? God. Show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
I love good preachers. I appreciate those who labor in the, in the word and then share it. I love to listen to them. But you know, they aren't the only ones that have that truth available to them. Every one of us have the opportunity to study. It's interesting that that word study, it only shows up in that verse. And if you're like me, a not-so-stellar student, studying was not my favorite thing to do. It just wasn't. My wife could read books 23 and a half hours a day, and then she'd eat the other half hour and then start all over again, I think. Not so much for the knuckle-dragon army guy, you know? And I... You know, it's just the way, it's the way things are. I have to work harder at studying. And I also have to work even harder at this, maybe, than some of you might have to. But we all ought to recognize that if we want to be approved unto God, it's not going to come with just a casual Bible reading from time to time. It's not going to come with just coming in here and listening to the Passion going, oh, that was a good message. No notes, no reconsideration of it. Never would it be said of me what was said of the Bereans that I went back and looked at it to see if the things he said were true. And yet, a good soldier, a good student of God's word would want to just dig and dig and dig and dig and dig. As the psalmist said, in his law, I meditate how often? Day and night. That's a pretty high calling. But it's needed. And why is it so important? Well, again, go back to the the thought of the deployment that I mentioned earlier. You know, when we go up, when we go down range and we're prepared, you're always kind of not just keeping an eye on yourself, but you're keeping an eye on the others. Whether they're the, the men and women under your charge, or depending on what level you serve at, maybe just a, a peer or two that you're trying to stay close to and, and, and be supportive of. Because you realize there's great danger when you go into that kind of a circumstance. And so you want to be on alert for their sake as well as for your own. I think we lose sight sometimes of the great danger that is before us every single day as we walk through, drive through, wait in line at. I wish, I'm working on some stuff about compassion because it's something I, I wish I understood as well as Christ did. To be able to look out on a multitude with compassion. I look out on a multitude and it's like, oh man, look at all those people. How am I going to get to the other end of that mass? I just came down the Jersey Turnpike in New York City on our way back from a funeral a couple days ago at rush hour. Because that's just the way it worked out after I tucked my kids to the airport up there in New England. Me and two million of my best friends from New Jersey and New York all on the Jersey Turnpike at the same time. That's how I look at it. I don't, I don't know. If Jesus was in the car with me, I think he'd be praying for those folks. I do. He was probably praying for me while I was fussing at those folks while I was driving. But do we understand how important it is that we reach out? That they are in the fight of their lives and they might not even know it. They need something that you have. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 reminds us that God desires that none should perish, right? But that all should come to repentance. But it's the book before that in 1 Peter where he reminds us that we, we need to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and be ready always to give an answer for the hope that is in us. 
or a reason for the hope that is in us with meekness and his fear. And I wonder how often some Christians are spring-loaded to that position, being ready, 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 ready. Because when you're, when you're downrange in that deployment, you're, you're ready all the time. You're thinking. You hear something? Whoop. You know, you see something? Whoop. You're getting ready to do something? Oh, better prepare. And yet, sometimes as Christians, we let our guard down and don't recognize that folks around us are going to perish if we don't get after it. Well, I'm way behind schedule here, so I probably won't get to all of this. But he also talks about a soldier's character here in verse number three. He talks, he describes him as a good soldier, a good soldier. And good is not like the barbecue I had last night was good or whatever you're going to have for lunch, or whatever you're going to grill tomorrow is good. It is literally good for use. You you ever had something that was good for nothing? Hopefully no one's ever said that about you, but, you know, I I can think of a couple things saying, why why do we still have this? You know, what is this, what purpose does it serve? Um, There were a couple times in the army where I wondered, why why do we have this? Why, why, Why do we have to use it this way? You know, let's join the 20th century Um, but we want to be good for use. And there's a couple things that help that to happen. One is just the refining that has to take place in our life, and I don't have time to turn there, but write down if you're taking notes, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, because there he tells that young preacher about the things he needs to purge from his life. That doesn't even sound fun. Most of us don't like having to deal with things that we see in our life that we know are wrong, especially if we feel like we've dealt with it before and we're dealing with it again. I certainly have been there. Maybe you have too. But there are things in our lives that have to go if we're going to be good soldiers. It's the same thing. We send send people to boot camp. How many of them come out the way they went in? None. None. They don't want you to be the same when you come out. And it isn't about physical fitness, although that's part of it. It's about right here. Where, where we came up when I was serving, and I don't know if any of you were serving at the same time, with the motto, Army of One, that was the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. Army of One? I don't remember doing anything in the Army hardly by myself except my PT test. And if I could have got help, I probably would have tried to get it. Everything took somebody and me. And sometimes a lot of somebodies and me. They needed to change, and we need to change. Be holy as I'm holy, God said. Do you think that that's fair? Do you think that's possible? There's refining that has to take place. We also have to keep an eye on the fact that there's a very relevant purpose for why we're here. I talked about sharing, but you know, that's not really the ultimate purpose for why we're here. Look with me again at verse number four, the latter half of that verse. That he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You were chosen. You're chosen to be a soldier. Now, if you've served, I hope it was your goal while you were in a unit to try to help that unit look good, help them be successful. 
That's what we're supposed to be trying to do. As believers, everything we do, everything we say, has an opportunity to reflect on the one who chose us to be a soldier. And the question is, how is that looking? Several verses. Write them down again if you're taking notes. But there's several ways, so many ways we can glorify and honor God. And that's what he's saying here we're supposed to be doing. Matthew 5.16 talks about our light shining so that men can see our good works and do what? Praise us? No. Glorify our Father who's in heaven. Proverbs 3.9 talks about honoring God with our first fruits. And you say, I knew that preacher sooner or later was going to talk about money. But you know, there's few things that say more about where our heart is than what we do with our money. And so if we want to really show God that we honor Him and glorify Him, that's a great way to do it. 1 Corinthians 6.20 about the fact we are bought with a price, glorifying God in our body and our spirit. And then John 15.18. Herein is my God, Father glorified. You know, you hear that statement, you're like, whoa, this is going to be good. I wonder what comes next. This is important. I mean, I want to glorify God. What comes next? Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You've got to sow seed if you want to bear fruit, right? One final thought here. One final area, and that's a soldier's commitment. Notice again back in verse number 3 at the beginning... He says that you are to endure hardness. Endure hardness. That is the idea of suffering affliction. Now Paul knew all about it. If you go back and look at 2 Corinthians 11, he talks about all the fun he had, shipwrecked, beaten, left for dead, stoned, in perils of waters, of robbers, of his own countrymen, by heathen, by false brethren, in the city, in the wilderness, in the sea. Doesn't leave much, does it? Paul knew what it was to suffer. And do you ever, anywhere, when you think about Paul or you read him, do you ever feel like, it looks like he was about ready to quit. I I just don't, I don't ever walk away from Scripture with that. I feel like Paul was all in, despite the fact that all these things were happening. He was committed to the mission that he was called by God to do. And the question is, are we committed to the mission that God has called us to do. We also need to be committed to preparation. You know, when you're in the military, it's train, 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 train. It seems like that's all we ever did was train. It's interesting. General MacArthur would say this. In no other profession are the penalties for employing untrained personnel so appalling or so irrevocable as in the military. You send someone into harm's way that's not trained, and they oftentimes don't come back. And yet we, we need to be ready and willing to go right into the midst of the gospel battle that's going on around us. And can we think that we'll ever be successful in that if we are not ready before we go in there? Are we prepared? Have we done what I said in 2 Timothy chapter 2.15? Have we studied to show ourselves approved unto God? A workman who's right, who's prepared, who's rightly dividing his truth. And then finally, you need to be committed to the cost. And that's really what Memorial Day is all about, is cost. I was, my first assignment was in, in Camp Humphrey, South Korea. I mentioned in Sunday school it was a, it was a backwater in those days. Um, 
And I had a young, young PFC. He had been in the maintenance platoon. I was a flight platoon leader at the time. And uh, really sharp young guy. But typically in the Chinook community that I was in, you had a, a flight engineer and a crew chief on every aircraft. The flight engineer was typically a, a staff sergeant in E-6. And the crew chief was typically a specialist, occasionally a sergeant. Because there's just a lot of things going on, a lot of things they had not to do, and they had to work on the aircraft. This young PFC was over in the maintenance company, and he was showing a lot of promise. And so I needed a guy, and I said, I'll, I'll take him over here. So he came over, and uh, he hadn't been with us but a couple of months. He made specialist, and it was clear that this guy was just gung-ho. Man, he was, he was after it, and he was going to do everything to the best of his ability. So it came time for the soldier of the quarter at the company level, and... I throw, him, I throw his name in the hat, and he blows everybody else away. Youngest guy out there on the board blew everybody else away. So now it comes time for the battalion, the next level headquarters up to do it. And so I said, you know what? You've been working so hard. Just take a couple of days and go get ready for the board. It'll, everything will be fine here. So he's up in the barracks studying, and uh, he realizes while he's there that his aircraft, which wasn't scheduled to fly, has First aid kits in it, Schnook has quite a few in it, and they were going to expire. And if they expired, his, his aircraft would technically be down, and, and he couldn't stand it. So he came in in civilian clothes, went out on the side of the hangar, got his first aid kits, and went to come back in. And in those days, the, the hangars had these huge metal doors that slid one past the other and a little tiny entryway to come in. And just as he's coming in through that entryway, that door behind it is sliding, and he doesn't know it. There's no alarm. And so it would make contact with him. And uh, the, the yell I got, LT, I, I go out there, and, and there's Keith Snyder on the tarmac gasping for life that would escape him. And I, and I share that with you to tell you that for me, a young second lieutenant, who'd just been in the military a short time, I came to grips for the first time with what it meant, could mean to be a soldier. And in this case, what it meant to be a good soldier. He had no idea this was going to happen, but he was committed to making sure he was successful in what he did. And I wonder how committed sometimes we can be in our role as believers committed to the things that God wants us to do. Paul would say this in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, but what things were counted to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I might win Christ. Wow. What a sentiment to have. Everything else doesn't matter is Paul's way of our current vernacular. It just doesn't matter compared to the fact that I might know Christ, I might serve Christ, and I might bring people to Christ. What a wonderful, wonderful perspective to have. That's what soldiering is all about. When we go down range, we go down to win. We go down to succeed. A lot of hard work, 
lot of sacrifice. And for you and I, as we have an opportunity to serve, as you can serve in this church, through this church, outside the doors of this church, are you willing to do it with all that you have? Are you willing to do it as you'd expect a soldier in uniform to do his duty? You know, I, I retired, as I said, 17 years ago. I talked to a brother who's retiring here in just a few days. Those days are gone for me. Pretty good retirement plan. But can I tell you that as a soldier of Jesus Christ, it doesn't have to end? There is no retirement plan except the one in glory. And the benefits package? Are you kidding? It doesn't get any better. Why wouldn't we want to tell people about our great God and our great Savior? And if you don't know him, why wouldn't you want to know him? The one who went to the cross for you and your sins, who died in your place, so that he could offer you the free gift of eternal life. There's no greater privilege than serving our great God. Let's try to keep in mind that we ought to do it with whatever is required. Winston Churchill said, it's no use saying we are doing our best. We must do what is necessary. Are we doing what is necessary in a lost and dying world? Let's pray.